This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to WGN Radio's Saturday Morning Show. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. That's not, not our, that's not our friend Big O. That's not Orion Samuelson. This is, this is some impersonator. This is some guy that must have dragged off the street here to fill in for Orion this morning. Yeah, well, that's close. Max Armstrong here with you this morning. Mr. Samuelson's partner in crime for darn near 42 years now. And it's a privilege to be able to be with you here covering some of the agriculture scene this morning. One thing we'll talk about a little bit later here is farm safety. It's that time of the year for Farm Safety Week. They used to have the observation in the summer. It used to be in July. And I had a conversation back in the day. I'm not, I'm not saying that I was the one responsible for changing the date to the fall, but I do remember visiting with the folks at the National Safety Council here. And, and I'm going back 30, 35 years ago. And I said, why don't you do it in the fall when there's so much more danger, it seems, on the farm with the harvest season? And it's been in September now for many, many years. But Steve Alexander will take a look at some of the dangers of the agricultural workplace when he comes along later this morning, we have been getting a lot of rain in parts of the region. I saw Mike Von Bergen up in McHenry County. He posted uh, the other day a picture of his rain gauge. And I think he said he'd had like eight to nine inches of rain in the past week. Those heavy rains have trained, it seems, right along the Wisconsin-Illinois border. I mean, if you looked out toward, uh, for example, Freeport on over toward Joe Davies County, there were heavy rains right along the Wisconsin state line. Janesville in southern Wisconsin, they picked up a lot of rain in recent days. And that extended right on over toward Lake and McHenry counties. More rain than is needed. But those folks aren't alone because up in South Dakota, a very similar area there, southern part of South Dakota, down toward the Nebraska border, they have been pounded with rains in recent days. In fact, they had some uh, tornadic activity up there. We had some tornadoes reported in this area this week too so uh we've had quite a bit of severe weather a lot of temperature variations some warmth that has certainly been welcome people often ask me you know about coming to chicago and i was talking about our our daughter uh, with this uh, about this with our daughter lisa yesterday lisa is uh, teaching at loyola university here in chicago and i said you know uh, september is such a beautiful month this is the time of the year when people should come at a vacation in Chicago. And it really is. Year in and year out, it's some of the best weather that you'll ever have in the Chicago metropolitan area. And there have been some nice days of late. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, I hope they have good weather for this evening in the little town of Sublette, Illinois, out in Lee County. As Orion mentioned, I think, during the noon hour, one day this week, it's their Hops and Harmony Festival out there this evening. The ambassador for Sublet, Don Dingus, called the other day and he said, oh, man, this is something. We grow hops out here. One acre. They have one acre of hops. I think there are only 40 acres in the entire state of Illinois, a crop that traditionally has been grown, well, in Scandinavia, but 
in the Pacific Northwest. Most of the acreage for the hops crop, year in and year out, was out there in the Pacific Northwest. And then about 10, 15 years ago, they started growing some in Wisconsin. And then with all of the craft breweries springing up, there has been more production. And in places where you wouldn't really expect to find it, in places like Illinois, not big production by any means yet, but uh, they're bringing that crop along little by little, and they have an acre of it in scenic Sublay, Illinois, or out there in that Lee County area. Well, the year-round, well, I shouldn't say the year-round, but in spring, summer, and fall, we get visits from our consulting horticulturist friend, Jim Fazell, who, my goodness, for decades has been consulting right here with the likes of Samuel and Armstrong, and we've learned so much from him, and we know you have too, as he's come by here at 720 on the dial. So I'm going to get out of the way and let the big O and Jim visit with you right now. Not too many weeks that we'll be able to check in with Jim Fazell as the growing season comes to an end. But, Jim, you always find something for gardeners to do, don't you? Well, you know, I find it because it's out there. <laughs> All you have to do is look. <laughs> it's not very hard to find that. Um, we are in the last full week of summer, though. The fall begins next Saturday. Uh, so, And it's amazing how fast and, and what a summer we've had. It's been a summer to remember with that cool, wet early and the flooding, late start to the planting season, late flowering of the fruit trees and so forth, and that cool spring that we had. One thing about that, though, the flowers lasted a long time, spring flowering bulbs in the, in the trees and so forth. This summer has been a, a challenge, too, because we've had a lot of moisture in some places and other areas have been really, really dry. Uh, we had almost a drought in early July and again in early August. And we had some downpours, and actually those don't do a lot of good because the water runs off instead of soaking in. Uh, the other nice thing that we've had is warm but no extended heat waves, um, and roller coaster weather. I don't think we had more than a dozen 90s, a lot of 80s. Uh, and it's been easy to be outdoors this year. Uh, one of the things I've noticed, not many bugs. We haven't had a lot of problems with mosquitoes, um, uh, which is really nice to be out. And, and uh, that's a, a real pleasure to be able to work out in the yard uh, early in the morning, especially, and not get eaten alive. But tomatoes are slow turning red, and other stuff is slowly developed, so it's really not been one of the best gardening years. And in fact, I can recall many, many ones that were a lot of better than this one. So you folks that are just starting out, there are plenty of reasons why your garden do, didn't do too well this year. But there's still weeks of good weather to go through, and summer hasn't gone yet. Uh, this past week we've had some heat, and we'll probably get some more yet. But there, And there's still a lot of stuff to do in the gardening. Um, where parts of the gardening are done, though, there's something that needs to be done with that. What do you do with all this spent plants that you're pulling out of the garden and the grass clippings and the leaves that are yet to come? Well, you need to compost them, and there are several ways to do that. Uh, one of the ways that I like to do is to dig them right back in the garden where you pulled them out. Pull your tomato plants out, lay them down, chop them up, turn them in right where they grew. One of the advantages of this is especially when you're planning to rotate crops like tomatoes. You don't like to grow those too many years in a row because diseases move in. If you've made a map, and we've talked about making a garden map, you'll know where you grew the tomatoes this year. If you chop them in at the same place, you'll know next year that you can avoid that. A second way of doing it is to dig a pit, empty one of these raised beds. Now, I know a lot of folks are are raising their vegetable gardens in raised beds and some of the annual gardens as well. Uh, Raised beds uh, are the things that we've used over the years. When you get ready to empty one of those beds, dig it out. I mean, empty it 
and preferably double deep, two spades deep. Stockpile the soil someplace and cover it up so it doesn't get soaking wet and freeze up because you might need some of that to cover your hybrid T-type roses a little bit later this, this season. Cover it up with a tarp so it stays dry. Leave the pit open. Leave it open all winter. Fill it with the vegetation that you that you bring in with the leaves and the grass clippings and so forth all through the fall and into the winter. Then in the spring, you're going to need to chop this stuff up in the bottom layer and spade it in. Now you've spaded three layers deep. It seems like a lot, but you've only done it a little bit at a time. Then begin to replace the soil. And I like to do it one layer at a time. Put in a layer, maybe uh, you've already turned that bottom layer. Put in another layer, half fill these beds. Then spade that in because you're going to mix some of the organic matter into that layer as well. And then fill it the rest of the way. Fill the bed clear up to the top where it's supposed to be. Amazingly, you're going to find that the bed is a little bit higher, which is okay, but you're going to have excellent drainage. And if you do this year after year, you're going to find out that the beds where you have turned this organic matter in do a lot better as far as how things grow, how will they drain, and so forth. So it's a real advantage to do that if you can do it. You don't have to do a whole bed at one time, as a matter of fact. You can do part of a bed at once. Uh, maybe you get, get uh, every four or five years, you get all the way around through the whole garden. But start now. If you start now, four or five years, it'll be done, and your garden will, the whole garden will be doing a lot better. Another system is the plastic bag system. Uh, black plastic garbage bags will work if you don't have too much stuff. Now, if you have a tremendous amount of stuff, uh, this may, may turn out to be a problem for you and you're going to have to go to another system but you can throw all this stuff in a black plastic garbage bag it's best if you chop it up if you can before you put it in there throw in a shovel full of soil with it and close it up put it in a place where it can just be out of out of sight you don't want to look at these messy bags put it behind the garage or someplace where you won't have to look at it and every once in a while when you think about it roll it over turn it over and you'll find each time you turn it it seems like it's not quite as full because the stuff that's in there is beginning to break down. By the end of uh, winter, actually, by next spring, you'll find out that you have a bag full of compost, nice stuff to use as potting soil to add to, to your garden where you need more organic material and so forth. The last thing I want to just mention, and this is something a lot of us have done in the past, it's getting a little more difficult to do, but that's to actually start a compost pile out in the open. Uh, some communities have local regulations which say you can or cannot do that. The other thing you need to remember is it takes space, and you need some kind of a structure. It could be just uh, fence posts with uh, steel fence posts with some wire and so forth to keep this stuff in one place. Uh, and it needs to be turned, which means you're going to have double have to have double the size of the pit. Now we normally like to see one of these pits at three feet by three feet by three feet tall. That's the best size that you can use so that you really do get it to heat up enough that it can really make compost, and it needs to do that. The organisms in that compost, in that uh, heap, have to work on the, on the material that's in there to digest it, and when they do that, they create heat. Now, if it's turned often enough, and if you do it correctly, and it's well enough aerated, you're not going to get any fragrance from it. If it's starting to smell, you know that you've got to go to work and turn it over. That's why you need twice as much room. You have to take this 3x3 three three pile, turn it over, and put it in the 3x3 three three area next to it. You'll find out that uh, each time you do this, it takes less effort to do it because there's going to be less and less stuff. And how do you do that is how you build one of these is to layer it. First of all, you need to put about a 6-inch layer of organic matter on the bottom, 2 or 3 inches of 
good topsoil on top of that and keep going with six inches of organic matter, three or four inches of topsoil until you get it up to the three-foot height. Uh, probably take you all season to get it that deep, but that's the maximum size that you want. And if it's high enough and well enough aerated, you're going to find out that there's going to be some heat coming off of it. And when we begin to get snow this next winter, you're going to find that the snow doesn't stick to the top of it. And oftentimes it won't even freeze through. So that's, uh, that, that's, <laughs> that's one of the ways of doing it. Um, disposing of the yard waste is a last resort. You can put this stuff in the, lar- in the yard waste and let the people pick it up because that goes in the compost. And actually, uh, you can probably go buy your same com- compost if you can figure out where it went because that's what they do with it. If you go to the, to the garden centers and you find this bag compost, that's where it came from, yard waste and so forth that other people have, have sent to these uh, recycling places. So it's not going to go to complete waste, but it's better if you keep it in your own, in your own yard. Now, you don't want to waste any of this organic material from your garden. It's a precious commodity. The one improvement you can actually add to your soil without any worry. That is a lot of good advice, and uh, it'll keep us busy for the fall, won't it? It sure will. It's not real easy, but it's gardening. It's a good reason to be outdoors. All right, Jim, thank you. Jim Fazell, our specialist in ornamental horticulture, here on the Saturday Morning Show. The Saturday Morning Show from WGN Radio Chicago. Max Armstrong with you this morning. Proud to be in the seat of power here, filling in for the big O. We'll have Steve Alexander sharing some comments in a moment or two about Farm Safety Week. And there are so many dangers in the agriculture workplace. But something has happened to a a farm family in western Michigan that really isn't exclusive of the agriculture community. It could have happened to any of us. You've heard us talk about the Teichman family through the years. Orient and I many, many times interviewed Herb Teichman of the Tremendous Fruit Farm over at Eau Claire, Michigan. Herb was the, uh, he was the original guy in this part of the country, I think, in terms of agritourism. Herb and Liz... Uh, developed their orchard operation over there, and they would invite people to come from the Chicago area, and there would be busloads of folks coming over to Tremendous Fruit Farm. Community banks would put together a bus trip, and people could go out to the orchard, not just to buy the apples and the peaches, but to enjoy the atmosphere, to spend time out there. You could rent a tree out there at Tremendous Fruit Farm. And that was the home of the Cherry Pit Spit that Herb pioneered back in the day. It's been held there every year. Herb's son, Bill, has followed in his dad's footsteps. And uh, Herb passed away earlier this year, passed away in January at the age of 88. And then we got the word this week that Bill, his son Bill, has been very ill in the past few weeks because of equine encephalitis, eastern equine encephalitis, triple E. There were three reported human cases of Tripoli in Michigan this year, and Bill Teichman is one of them. He became ill just a little more than a month ago, I guess. Just uh, I think it was around August 16th. He wasn't feeling very well. He was weak. He wasn't speaking clearly. They took him into the hospital in Grand Rapids, checked in there, and uh, spent three weeks in the neurological intensive care unit, and then has been transferred to a long-term acute care facility over in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He opens his eyes at this point. They believe that he can hear and see folks, but he, uh, while being weaned off of a ventilator, has a long road to recovery from what the family is indicating. And we certainly will be keeping Bill and the entire Teichman family 
in our thoughts and prayers. Good, good people, wonderful family. We noticed that a GoFundMe account has been set up for the Teichman Fruit Farming family. And um, I think the goal had been set of about $55,000. When I looked yesterday, they were just about halfway to that goal, if that's something that interests you. But by all means, keep those folks in your thoughts and prayers. Bill Teichman, a third-generation fruit farmer, uh, the heartbeat of the tremendous fruit farm, according to the GoFundMe page. And uh, they are parents. The Teichmans are parents. And uh, they have young family members coming on who we assume would try to continue the operation as well, too, following in the footsteps of Grandpa Herb, Grandma Liz, and uh, Bill, who is recuperating in the hospital now. There are so many things, so many places where we can get in trouble in the farming operation. You don't think about a doggone mosquito. There are so many others to worry about, as Steve Alexander points out this weekend. We are coming up on National Farm Safety Week. It's an opportunity for producers to take a look at tractor safety and PTO safety and rural road travel safety, child safety, even things like fatigue and sun exposure. There are many opportunities for danger on the farm, especially around harvest time. Joining me on the phone is Chuck Schwab, a professor at Iowa State University and an extension safety specialist. And Chuck, this harvest time, which is kind of a rolling period of time, depending on where people are at and what crops are being harvested, is another opportunity for danger. It is the prime spot for danger, meaning that this is probably one of the most active times, and we're also doing so many different tasks in a short window of time once harvest season starts. Is it partly because the machinery is not used very often, perhaps once a year? That is a good point, is that you have a lot of various tasks that are being done in some type of sequence. So you're transporting equipment to the field, you're using it in the field, you're transporting the crops out of the field, and then you're putting it into storage or transporting it to a local co-op. And so in each one of those, there's multiple pieces of equipment that are being used. And again, it's the, you, you see a stress of time, a time window where you're trying to get it accomplished uh, in a certain amount of time. You wait for the crop to be ready to be harvested, and then you're trying to get it done as fast as possible. And when we add that stress of, um, you know, the, trying to get it done quickly, add possibly weather conditions that can come into play and the variety of tasks that you're dealing with that you don't normally do all you know day in and day out then what happens is some things might have to be refreshed uh you have different thoughts in your mind about what tasks you're working on and so it creates a a lot of opportunities for making either poor decisions or decisions that aren't as safe as you normally would do and that's where we run into so many troubles uh, during this harvest season. I would imagine that there are some accidents that happen just because during this really hectic time, people aren't getting enough sleep. Well, it, it, it's a lot of things that are happening. The sleep is one of them. Uh, they may not be resting well. They may not be taking enough breaks, uh, you know, staying hydrated, uh, having good nutrition during this time period. Because as your body, you know, you're thinking through this process, you're working long hours, are you as alert 
in some of those times as you would be in a normal day. And so by not taking those breaks and extending your work time, you're creating an environment for your body that's under more stress. Um, your awareness starts to diminish. Your decision processes change. And again, that's where so many times we see something that is a task that you might have done, um, you know, like a, making an adjustment or fixing something on the combine head or uh, certain types of you know, parts of your decision making as you're driving a tractor and wagon might be clouded because of the extended time that you're working or the the stress of the time or the lack of sleep and those decisional moments or awareness of what's happening or perception of what's going on uh, influences one's health and safety. The number one cause of fatalities and injuries in farming accidents, the tractor. Be careful out there. Ah, sage advice, you rascal. Thank you, Steve. More coming up on the Saturday Morning Show. Good morning again. Max Armstrong with you on the Saturday Morning Show. This Saturday here on WGN Radio, Orion is keeping a very busy schedule this time of the year. And I think he was headed toward the University of Illinois today. Among other stops during the week, it's hard to keep up with the guy. I, I, I don't even pretend to be able to keep up with him. We'll be out with some farmers in Will County later this week. Our friend out there, Dave Kessel, pioneer dealer, will be bringing some producers together, and we'll be out there on Thursday evening. We look forward to getting some first-hand reports from out there just south of Chicago about how the crops are looking, maybe the timetable for harvest this year. There are so many questions about this harvest season and where the markets may be going. Those markets, well, we talked about them this week with Paul Georgie with Howlandale Incorporated after the release of the September crop report. I noted visiting with Paul that uh, we've had a couple of stunners in terms of USDA reports coming into this one. Well, they were. They were in the kind of numb going into this thing, I would say, uh, not expecting a whole lot out of it. And uh, the government gave us just what we thought, nothing this time, kind of a yawner. Uh, didn't change very much, lowered the yields a little bit from last time, um, although the yield uh, projections on corn were right in line with what the what the Allendale uh, uh, farmer survey said. But, uh, you know, soybeans a little bit lower, but soybeans, we got a lot of guessing to do yet, and a lot of, we need a lot of time in order to get, uh, the final yields on this crop, in other words. As you go down the road and you look at the soybean fields, it impresses you how far that crop has to go in many instances before it reaches maturity. Uh, there are a lot of green fields yet. There's a lot of green fields, and, you know, the days are getting shorter, and beans grow uh, basically by daylight. So you wonder how much actual production can we get out of these soybeans? What is the potential of them? And, uh, you know, we're really not going to know until the combines run, and you know we don't want to we don't want to put an end to this crop too early with a frost. So uh, the frost is still in my book. The frost is the biggest question we've got as far as what kind of crop we're going to have and what kind of quality we're going to have, because that to me com- concerns me as much as anything is the quality of this crop. Because poor quality crops usually mean low prices, and uh, that is uh, you know we won't get the real effect of it until maybe next year 
then the question is, can the farmer survive uh, financially? He's got to have debts to pay and loans to pay off, things like that. So there's, uh, I'm, I'm very concerned for the, the farmer right now. Given the lack of maturity for this crop, do you think there are going to be some weather scares yet as we go on through the month of September into October, wondering about the possibility that uh, you know, this crop isn't going to get finished? I think the further we go along, the less the scare will be. Uh, in my uh, 35 years of experience in the business, it's, you know, if we had a scare in, uh, in talking about a frost coming in the middle of September and it doesn't happen, we're going to have a, a nice surge in the market uh, off of that. Now we've got the weather forecast that gives us all the way through the middle of, uh, well, the first part of October. So we're we're kind of running out of gas for a, uh, a big surge in price. Uh, we certainly could rally prices simply because we're oversold in the market from a technical perspective uh, and uh, things along that line that, that are other than weather that uh, weather may ignite. But um, we, we could see uh, a concern or, or something that we're also watching is we're looking at weather forecasts that are talking about wet all the way through harvest. And that's going to make it very difficult, and you lose bushels when you have uh, wet conditions during harvest. Generally, we don't get too excited about harvest delays because there's the feeling that that crop is going to get brought in anyway. Uh, but those years are not nearly as late as this one. Will the market pay more attention to the fact that uh, there's rain dropping into an area and the crop isn't getting harvested and there's the possibility of field losses. Generally, we don't leave that much out of the field, Paul. That's right. We don't, and we're very good about getting our crop harvested. We've got equipment to do it with. Uh, you know, we can mud it out of the field easier than we can mud it in the field. And, uh, you know, so I, I would like to think that we could get some excitement from that. We need something more positive to talk about right now. I mean, we'd look at the crop and you say, well, it's, and farmers tell me all the time that it's just not, uh, the crop isn't there. Well, the problem is we don't have any demand. And that's the side of the equation that the, the big picture is looking at is we still have got a lot of corn. We still, in this USDA report, we got 2.1 billion bushel of corn carry out next year when at in june we were thinking we were only going to have 1.4 billion carry out which is a big difference and and we don't have the demand and uh that is uh we got problems in the ethanol industry and there's there's just if we can fix some of our demand problems now the supply all of a sudden becomes important and any change in that supply becomes a greater importance someone listening to us Maybe thinking back to how in the spring, when this crop wasn't being planted in a timely manner and the challenges that farmers were having, it looked so bleak. How could this crop have such good-looking corn yields? Now, substantially lower than a year ago, but still surprisingly good for what it's gone through. There is no doubt about it. It's a surprise. And and you have to give credit to the weather and genetics i would think it, it certainly the uh, the credit you have to give but the weather that we've had it's been relatively cool in a lot of areas uh we've had moisture so uh, the crop come on very quickly it's not been extremely hot so uh you know those are the factors that have have really been the uh the supportive to growth i've had uh work for uh, and help out at the food pantry up here in northern Illinois and Crystal Lake once in a while. And, and we got some uh, vegetables from a, a vegetable farmer. And he was telling me, 
and he keeps track of the days that he puts it in and when he planted it, days in every year. He's done it for 20 years. And this year, the the time span from the time he planted it to the time he harvested was actually less than any other year that he had, and he's getting a bountiful harvest. So I always look at that. If it's happening in one crop, it could happen in another crop, and that's uh, that's what I guess we got to be uh, aware of. Over the next 30 to 60 days, will there be much volatility in prices? Now, obviously, the wild card is what, what China might be up to. Or do you see prices just kind of plateauing here until we start to get some of the combine yield results, until we start to get a little bit into this harvest? Well, I would like to say we're going to have volatility because that's good for everybody. Uh, however, reality tells me that we're probably going to be uh, sideways. Since there isn't that demand that there you were talking is, the about. The demand earlier. isn't there. And then usually in markets like this where we've got plenty of supply, we'll get demand if the market moves lower, and then we'll move up a little bit, kind of our stair step down. And that could be our, our situation that we're facing right now, and that's the, the scary thing. It could be more of a, a downtrending uh, stair step than an uptrending stair step because any rallies, the buyer goes away, says, I know I got plenty to buy, and I'll get it when the price goes back down. And that I, and supply will have a, an impact, but I think, uh, you know, that's going to come later, in my belief anyway. I think we, we get the bearishness out of our system here. We still have got a lot of old crop corn that, I'm a, that is on the farm. And, you know, farmers, I only know a couple of farmers that don't have any corn on the farm. They're, it's moved. The rest of them all come to me and say, well, we got, or talk to my brokers and say, well, you know, we got 30,000 bushel left, or we got 50,000 bushel yet, and uh, I just found 10,000 bushel. Uh, sure you did, but uh, uh, they got corn on, on the farm that they have to move. So they're going to need to get the bins empty if the crop is going to be there. Now, most of them, or one of the arguments is, is that, well, we don't want to sell this cash grain because we don't know if we're going to have a crop. I understand that. That's certainly a viable argument, but... So that means somewhere in here in the next couple of weeks, we may see more corn come to town. We might actually have an earlier harvest than we think because it's going to be old crop corn coming to town rather than new crop uh, because of later harvest and the bins still having grain in them. So basis can play a role in that too, can it not? Basis is, and basis is definitely playing a role right now. We've got a, a much stronger basis than historically we have during this period of time. And I think that's something that farmers really need to keep an eye on is watching this basis and in their own area if it's uh, because once the corn once we get past a certain date this the the elevators know there's grain coming they they don't need to pay up for corn anymore so uh it will uh it, the basis will fall somewhere here in the next probably two to two to six weeks the basis is suggesting somebody needs it right now there isn't it, and they well, it's suggesting they need it, but on the other hand, it's suggesting that the farmer isn't selling it. And I had that uh, come up to me the other day, and the guy said, "Well, we don't have any corn because the basis is strong." That's not the case. The farmers are strongholders right now. Yeah. They're they're not selling the grain, and that uh, that I think is uh, it, it's a problem that could impact us, and it will impact the basis, which could impact the, the farmer's return by 20, 30 cents a bushel if he gets caught up on the wrong side of it. Just be alert that all of that could be coming to market at one time, you're saying. It could. Once, the, once we're confirmed we're going to get a crop, there's going to be a flush of grain to the market. 
Well, the insights shared by Paul Georgie, Allendale Incorporated in McHenry, Illinois. There's more coming up here on the Saturday Morning Show on WGN Radio. We're back on the Saturday Morning Show. Max Armstrong here with you this morning. Is Mike Steven in the house? Has anybody seen him? He's usually here, you know, outside the loop, coming along after the 6 o'clock news. Always enjoy listening to Mike. He comes up with some interesting stories. Farm Aid is coming up in a few days. The annual Farm Aid concert that Willie Nelson started, and it's right in the region this year. Alpine Valley Music Theater up at East Troy. That'll be Saturday, week from today. Some of the same characters involved from the very beginning. Willie Nelson, John Mellencamp, Neil Young, Dave Matthews, Bonnie Raitt, Tanya Tucker. The very first one of these was held in 1985. I remember being there. It was a rainy Saturday at the University of Illinois down in Champaign. It rained all day, just dumped buckets on the crowd, and the bands performed. You looked out across the, the, the floor of the stadium, and they were everybody was under tarps. It was kind of an undulating crowd out there under the tarps and uh, jackets and raincoats. And that was the very first one all of those years ago. They're still trying to raise money to help in various ways, they say, to help the agriculture community. They sometimes deviate and get off into the area of agricultural policy, and that hasn't always been their forte. But the music is good, many people would say. So they'll be at East Troy next Saturday. A bunch of television stations up in Wisconsin are having a uh, telethon trying to raise money to benefit the agriculture community of the state. It's the Quincy Group of television stations, and uh, they, of course, point out that those folks who milk cows and many others in other crop production, too, in Wisconsin have had a very challenging year, not just the tough economics, of course, not just difficult supply and demand factors, but then there, of course, has been the trade war and an abundance of crop production around the world that has affected the grains. We talked about the stresses of the business of farming earlier, and I, I couldn't help but think of this contest that's going on now. It's a pretty cool contest that is being sponsored by Mosaic, uh, the uh, fertilizer company. They have what they call micro-essentials fertilizer, and they have what they are calling micro-essentials harvest heroes. They're recognizing people over the United States who go above and beyond at harvest time. It's an interesting contest that just uh, actually started yesterday and will run through the 21st of November, and they want to recognize 10 people for what they do in the community. And I thought that was a great idea. <laughs> I'm not so sure about the prizes. Now, they, they, uh, they will pick these 10 people, and they will get a Harvest Essentials Prize Pack, which includes a lunch bag, a Yeti cooler. That's pretty cool. And the 10 winners chosen will receive a personalized voicemail message for their phone from a guy by the name of Max Armstrong. <laughs> so that may be fun, uh, especially if, if some of those winning individuals have their own request for what they want me to say. But 10 winners will be chosen, and you can nominate someone by going to the Micro Essentials Facebook page. Now, what they're looking for here is somebody who always rises to the occasion. Somebody really makes a difference. Maybe they, they come by the field late in the afternoon to deliver a, a treat. Maybe they slice up a pie and take it around to the combine cabs and the, 
the tractor pulling the grain cart, the guys in the trucks. Maybe it's it's a kid who gets out of football practice in the afternoon and he knows that a neighbor could use some help and he goes over and and lends a hand. Maybe this young man just does this all the time, shows up and helps people. Uh, perhaps it's somebody who calls to let you know there's a long line at the elevator. There are these individuals, of course, sometimes they organize a, a harvest day for a family that has an illness or a death in the family. There are these people in all the communities across the country, it seems, who step up in the time of need and make things happen. That's who they're looking for in the Mosaic Micro Essentials Harvest Heroes Contest. You just go to their Facebook page, Micro Essentials and nominate someone and do it before the 21st of November. We sure enjoyed a few weeks back seeing a lot of folks down to the Half Century Progress Show in Arantoul, and then immediately after that at the Farm Progress Show at Decatur. And we wrapped up our farm show involvement this past week at Husker Harvest Days out in Grand Island, Nebraska. They had three wonderful days for that show. The largest totally irrigated farm show in the country. There's another farm show this week over at Ohio, the Farm Science Review. We won't be there for that, but... We hope they have three good days at that show, too. Well, thanks a lot for being with us this morning on the Saturday Morning Show. On behalf of Orion Samuelson, this is Max Armstrong. Hoping you have a great weekend. By all means, work safely out there in the agricultural workplace. Mike Stephen, coming up right after the news on WGN. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.